Somebody has said that eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. That we've got to be vigilant if we're going to be free. Our enemy is so deceptive and he is so uh, challenging to us that we have to be eternally vigilant. Um, 1 Peter 5 verse 8 is a verse that teaches us the importance of vigilance. Let me give you an illustration though. On April 28, 1944, during World War II, Allied soldiers were engaged in Operation Tiger, a training exercise in amphibious beach landings in preparation for D-Day, the invasion of Normandy. Suddenly, enemy gunboats appeared and killed over 700 American servicemen in a surprise attack. They were just training. They weren't really in the battle, so they weren't watching well enough. And 700 men died in the training maneuver. A monument stands on Slapton Sands to commemorate the sacrifice of those young men who died while training for battle but were never able to enter the conflict. The tragedy is that a picture like that warns the believer in Christ. We are involved in combat with an enemy who is powerful and deceptive. That is why the Apostle Peter warned us. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us tonight as we look to your word, Lord? Would you just uh, enable us? Would you uh, bind the enemy, Lord? Would you cause him not to be able to interfere in what's going on tonight? And Lord, make us aware uh, of what we face. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We're in a warfare, and we have to understand that we're in a warfare, and we have to remember that warfare. These believers were going to uh, suffer persecution, and Peter is warning them of the enemy. He's warning them to be sober. To be vigilant because there's an enemy out there are ready to get them. Now listen, there's an enemy out there ready to get you. He's, he's, he's waiting for his opportunity. He's waiting to get you. He's waiting to get me. He's working for that day and looking for that day. He's been around a long time. He knows how you're going to jump if he puts the pressure on you. And he's just biding his time, waiting his chance to go after you and to tear you down and shred you. And if you think he can't get you, you're deceived already. He can get any of us. The warning is to all of us. The text says, be sober. That's the Greek word, nepho. It means um, the idea of freedom from excitability. It's a contrast to the excitement of drunkenness, and thus means to be calm and collected in spirit. Temperate, marked by moderation, keeping within limits, not extreme or excessive, not giving to excessive indulgence in drink or any other activity. You're to be sober. You're to constantly be in the state of where you're you're in control of your faculties. You're not to be in a place, you know, where um, you know you're so excited about something that you listen. You're just bouncing off things and you're just doing things. No, you're you're to be sober. You're to sit and think it through, and you're to respond and react in ways that are right, not in ways that are just reactions to life. You're you're to always be sober. Uh, You can't afford to let that guard down. It says be vigilant. Now vigilant there is an interesting idea. Somebody put it this way, and I thought it was really helpful, right? It's the idea of being vigilant is when you're you're crossing a, a river on slippery stones. You ever done that? You got wet feet? You know, you're crossing on these slippery stones, you know, you're putting your foot on this stone and it's moving, you know, and this one is slippy. And as you go across, I mean, listen, you are watching your feet. 
You are making sure where you put your feet. And if you don't, you're in the river instantly. You're to be vigilant. You're on shaky ground all the time. Now, the enemy doesn't mind you thinking that, listen, everything's fine. Uh, Take a break. He never takes a break. He never takes a break from watching you. He never takes a break from waiting to pounce. He's always waiting on that opportunity that you're going to give him so he can pounce on you. Uh, your adversary, he is your opponent. Again, you see, if, if, if you were involved in a, in a game of some kind and you had an opponent in that game, you would understand it. You, know, you would watch that opponent. If you were playing a game of tennis, you would watch your opponent really closely. Watch where they're going. Watch where they're likely to put the ball. Watch what their next move is likely to be. You have an opponent who's watching you like that. All the time, watching what's happening in your life. Um, He is your adversary. Um, The devil as a roaring lion. That's an interesting picture, isn't it? A roaring lion. You know, I read some stuff today about roaring lions. and It uh, really helped me get this picture in my mind. Listen, a roaring lion roars for a purpose. You know, lions typically... Don't go roaring into the middle of the herd hoping to catch something. You know they don't do that? You, you, you watch the pictures on the, on the nature programs. What they do is they creep up nice and quiet. They, 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 they try and hide their movement till the, la- till the last possible moment so nobody sees them. So what would a roaring lion be doing? Well, you know what a lion will do? A lion will lope into the middle of a herd and roar just to see what happens. Because in the scatter, he finds out where the weak ones are. He finds out who's going to actually be the easiest dinner for the night. So he'll go down and he'll just, listen, he's just, he's just playing the game. What he's doing is he's just, he's just roaring to see who's going to move and how they're going to move. And he's studying the whole herd. Do the enemy roars just to see what you're going to do? Just to see how he's going to get you to respond. Just to see if maybe he can show some weakness in you that he's going to exploit, that he's going to actually uh, take and use against you. And that, that's one of his tricks. That's one of the, he's a roaring lion. He's out there roaring, looking to see what you're going to do. And you need to stand your ground. Now, we're not going to get there until next week, but next week we're going to look at, you need to resist him steadfastly. You don't move for Satan. You don't do what he wants you to do. Listen, when he roars, you stare him down. Because remember, as long as you're in the place where you're supposed to be, he can't touch you. He's not ever going to be able to touch you until God says, yeah, go ahead and work him over. He's not, he's not allowed near you as long as you're in the place where you're supposed to be, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do. So you don't move for his roaring. You're not under his command. You used to be under his kingdom, but you're not anymore. You're in a different kingdom now. Listen, let him roar. You just carefully watch him, but you stand against him. You don't do what it is that he wants you to do. Second thing you need to understand from that too, listen, when he roars, he's going to exploit your weakness. See, it's one thing for you to be right with God and walking with God. The Lord Jesus Christ is riding high in your heart and the Spirit of God is in control. And the enemy roars at you. You know, spiritually you can say, yeah, roar on because there's nothing you can do. 
But you know what? When you're not walking with God and you haven't been right with God and there's fear in your heart because you recognize, you know what? There's, there's a problem between me and God. I'm not as close as I should be. You're frightened when the enemy roars. And you respond when the enemy roars. You respond to him because, listen, he's able to scare you then. Look, understand, you need to be right with God all the time. He doesn't take days off, and you can't afford to. You know, a lot can change in one day in your life. You can make decisions in one day that can direct the whole course of the rest of your life. That's just the way it is. You make a decision today, you think, well, that's no big deal. But you know, each decision lends on to another decision, on to another decision, and you know what? Like a game of chess, before you know it, listen, you've made a decision right at the beginning of the game, and the experienced chess player is looking at the game and saying, I've won. A few moves yet before I actually show you that I've won, but I've won. Just because of the first move that you made, because of the move that you made, because he knows that he has it in the back. Satan does that with you. He watches you. You don't always know the best decision to make. You don't always know what the right thing to do is. But God does. And when you're walking with Him and depending upon Him, you can walk in the light and you can know what the right way to go is. You can walk in the right way. You can walk in the right path. You see, your enemy is out there like a, a roaring lion. <clears throat> He's looking to identify the weak and, and he walks about seeking whom he may devour. You see... A clever hunter doesn't just hunt. A clever hunter singles out who he's going to hunt. You know, the lion who's hunting, you know, doesn't say, I want to get the fastest one in the flock. Guess what? The fastest one and the slowest one taste the same. <clears throat> you know, maybe the slowest one's got a bit more meat on them. <clears throat> it doesn't matter to him whether, whether it's the fastest one or the, or, or the slowest one. He just wants to find out who's easy to get. Do you think Satan might operate on that idea too? Do you think Satan might survey the flock here and see who looks like easy dinner? Who looks like I could get them pretty easy? Who can I wear down, harry, harass, frightened by roaring, make them jump, and finally get them? Nice and easy, nice easy meal, and destroy them. Because that's what he's trying to do. Seeking whom he may devour. He wants to tear you apart and destroy you. He's just watching, waiting for the right moment to pounce in your life. And when he gets that right moment, listen, he'll devour you. He'll destroy you. <clears throat> read about the death of a man called Paul Reimers in Queensland, Australia. Even though he lived in a part of Australia where crocodiles were common, he was so afraid of them that he would never go in water more than a few inches deep. Even so, a 15-foot crocodile with only three legs and a half a tail stalked reamers in the shallow waters and killed them. Just because the crocodile was handicapped, he was still dangerous. Satan may be defeated, but he's still crafty and he's still dangerous and he's out there waiting for you to make the wrong move so that he can get you. And you say, Pastor, listen, you're talking scary talk tonight. I hope I am, because that's what the Bible's saying to us. The Bible's saying is, not that we need to be terrified, not that we need to be scared, but that we need to recognize the danger of an enemy that wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy us. Now look, we're not without armor, we're not without defense, and we're not without a Lord. So you can go, oh, praise the Lord for that. But you know what? He is out there. 
And he is trying to get you. He is trying to tear you down. Let me give you some of the ways that he's going to try and take advantage of you. Because first Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. Look there with me. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. says, Lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant concerning his devices. We're not ignorant. Well, tonight, could you say that? Well, I'm not ignorant. He's not going to get advantage of me because I'm aware of his devices. I'm not ignorant of his devices. All right, so what are some of the areas where he's going to take advantage of you? First of all, if you harbor unconfessed sin in your heart, something between you and God and you haven't dealt with it, there's unconfessed sin there. Listen, your fellowship with the Father is broken. Uh, Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah 59, 2 but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Satan wants to get you out of fellowship with God. He wants to get you in the place where you're separated out from the herd. You ever see those nature films where you know, the lion finally goes after the prey that he's, that he's singled out and chosen? And what he's done is he singled somebody out from the herd. Maybe somebody who's lagging behind, maybe somebody who hasn't really noticed and has gotten going slowly, but he's singled out one that he's going after. You know what? When you're separated from the Lord, you're all out of whack. When you're not walking with God, you're in danger. You keep saying, well, I need to get right with God. I, need to get, I know I need to get right with God because this is no way to live and it's a miserable way to live. Listen, it's not just a miserable way to live, it's a dangerous way to live. It's a foolish way to live. Because you have an enemy out there who's looking for dinner, who's looking to devour somebody. And when you're not right with God, right up close with God and walking with Him, you know what? You're easy prey for Him. You're a real easy prey for Him. You know, we see people falling away all the time, don't we? We see people destroyed all the time. You know, and there we are scratching our heads saying, what happened to them? Well, it's easy. They got devoured. The enemy went after them and he got them, they got devoured. And if we could but see into their lives, and some can, we'd see, you know what, we'd find out pretty rapidly why they were singled out, why he went after them. We'd find out pretty rapidly, you know what, there was, this, there was an issue there that they wouldn't deal with, that they wouldn't go after, that they wouldn't sort out in their lives. That's the issue that done them in. Now, guess what? Without doubt, in some of your lives tonight, there are issues that if you don't deal with, Satan's going to deal with you. There are issues in your life that if you don't get them right, what's going to happen is Satan's going to sweep in and he's going to devour you. Now, be warned. Listen, get right with God. You can't go it alone in the Christian life. The enemy is too powerful. He's too clever. He's too strong. There's no way you can go it alone. If there's sin between you and the Savior, make it right. You can't afford to have sin between you and Him. Unconfessed sin will make you an easy target. Listen, <clears throat> bitterness or a failure to forgive will do it too. You know, in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, uh, we read that Satan should get an advantage over you. Verse 10 says, To whom you forgive anything, I forgive. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. You know what? The context there is forgiveness in case Satan gets advantage over us. Listen, if you won't forgive tonight, Satan has an advantage over you. He knows it. And by the way, if there's an area that Satan can use in your life, it's got to be this area of bitterness and failure to forgive. 
failure to let go uh, of things that people owe you, failure to let go of the hurts that have been done to you. you listen, if you don't forgive, you're in trouble. Now, I understand you may say, you know, well, listen, you don't know the hurt that's been done to me, and I don't. But God does. And Satan does too. And you know what? He's got a little prod. And he keeps prodding it, doesn't he? He keeps prodding that area of hurt. He keeps, he keeps digging into it. He keeps pointing out to you that area of hurt and bringing it to mind for you and touching the sore spot and bringing it up for you again. And, and, and you're like a fool, go with him. And you go, poor me, and you get bitter, and you get angry, and you get bent out of shape with that person. And you know, listen, you want vengeance. You want that situation dealt with. You want it dealt with so bad, you want somebody to sort it out to your advantage. You know what? You're giving him an advantage over you. You're giving him an advantage over you. Remember telling me today about the, <clears throat> the football match between uh, Wales and France, and France won. And I was amazed. I don't, don't really follow the uh, rugby, but um, you know, I, you just hear bits and pieces of it on the news. And I knew that the French team weren't all that good. Sometimes they came out great, and sometimes they came out dreadful. I was kind of surprised that, that, that they'd beaten the Welsh team. And then they told me, no, they had an advantage because the Welsh team lost their captain 10 minutes into the game. That's what it means to have an advantage. I'm sure that Welsh team struggled through the whole game. Their captain was out. From the beginning. The French had an advantage over them. You know what? Whenever you're bitter, you give Satan an advantage. You're playing with one man less. You're playing in the down position. You're playing in the losing position. There's no way you can win. You can't afford to be <clears throat> bitter. You can't afford to be in the place where you won't forgive. Look, I know you've been hurt. We've all been hurt. But you've got to learn to let it roll off you like water off a duck's back. Because if you don't, Satan's going to take advantage of you and he's going to devour you. Imagine that poor guy getting eaten by a crocodile. I mean, what an awful death that must be. Listen, Satan wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. Matthew 18, verse 35 says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Listen, Christians are forgivers. They're always forgive. They have to be. We're commanded. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive others, uh, as we forgive our debtors. We're supposed to be a forgiving people. We're supposed to be forgiving all the... Has somebody done you wrong? Has somebody hurt you? Listen, get with God tonight and say, Lord, I'm giving it up. Put it in your hands. You deal with it. I'm not going after it anymore. Lord, it's over. I'm letting go of the situation. I'm relinquishing my control of it, Lord. You take it and you deal with it. Oh, you know what? You'll find blessing in your life. But you know what you'll do? You'll take back the advantage that you've given Satan. And Satan just wants to beat you down. That's what he wants to do. He wants to beat you down. Uh, When we won't forgive, we break fellowship with God and Satan gets the advantage over us. Um, Another issue that will will stand between us and God is pride. You know, pride is what casts Satan out of heaven. God hates pride. Isaiah 14 verse 13 says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And God said, Yet thou shalt be brought down into hell to the sides of the pit. You know what? God is going to deal with Satan. But let me say this to you. Satan 
was full of pride, and he likes to make you full of pride too. He likes to give you lots of things to be proud of, but he likes to give you lots of things to look at yourself and say, aren't I, aren't I a cut above? Aren't I just better than the rest? Man, look at me and look at them. I, I am just a cut above the rest. That's his game. You know what God says? God says that seven things he hates. The first one he lists in the list is a proud look. God hates pride. He absolutely hates pride. And look, if you're born again tonight, you have nothing to be proud of. Nothing to be proud of. You were a worthless sinner, halfway gone to hell, when Jesus died on the cross, saved you from your sin, and your only glory is the cross. My Savior died for me. That's your only glory. And you know what? That will ever be your only glory. My Savior died on a cross for me. I was Now that will keep you humble. That will keep you humble all your life. You know, really, if you think about it, a proud Christian is just, man, that's just a paradox. How can somebody be proud who is bound for hell and somebody else have to step in and substitute, substitute themselves for them? How can you be proud? You know, when, we get, when we're proud, we're not on God's territory. We're on Satan's territory. When we're proud, we're not being like Jesus. We're being like Satan. And when we're proud, we're going to give him an advantage. We're going to put ourselves in the place where Satan's got an advantage over us. There's two kinds of pride. Uh, one seems to know everything, and the other can't be seen to be wrong. Freeman Good said this. He said, if a person is willing to admit it when they are wrong, then that is evidence that they are maturing. If they won't, they are neither mature nor maturing. Ooh, that's kind of bad, isn't it? <clears throat> if you won't admit when you're wrong, you're neither mature nor maturing. You know what? It's pride that stops us from admitting when we're wrong. It's pride that just stands between us and, and admitting the reality that we're wrong. Listen, you know what? You're wrong every day. Listen, you know what? We're not so perfect. Every day. Every day we get it wrong. Listen, sometimes we get it wrong because we do it downright wrong. Sometimes we get it wrong because we, did we didn't realize it was wrong. But there's something for us to be forgiven every day, I'm sure. I'm sure there's something every day in your life. Now listen, I don't live in your life, but I know in my life there's got to be something every day that I need to be forgiven for. Another thing that will get you is rebellion. Now what's a rebel? Don't we want a rebel to be, you know, somebody who is wicked and disobeys commandments 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10? A rebel is one who refuses to submit to the authority over him. Somebody who refuses to, admit, to submit to the authority over them. That means, you know, you've got an authority telling you to do one thing, and you're saying, I'm not doing that. And you're doing your own thing. You're a rebel. Now, Satan loves rebels. Do you know that? He loves rebels. He loves rebels from God, at least. I wouldn't like to be part of his kingdom and be a rebel in his kingdom, a rebel against him. I really wouldn't like that one. But he loves it when you're a rebel from God. Because what you're doing is you're, you know, stiffening your neck and you're turning away from the one that can help you, the only one that can help you, and Satan loves it. That's a great day when he can see you be a rebel. Listen, there's, a, there's an umbrella of protection. It's called authority. And when you're under authority, you're safe. And when you're out from under authority, you are fair game for him. And he knows it. 
Some of you young people are way out from under authority in your lives. You're way out from under the umbrella of protection. Listen, you're living your own life, doing your own thing, and some of you are doing it in your parents' household. And you know what? Listen, you're in trouble. Because the enemy is sitting there watching and waiting for you. you know, I don't know much about lions. I've never, I've never dealt with a lion. I've dealt with foxes, though. Or a fox, at least, right? And um, <clears throat> we had a fox get 15 chickens in two days, right? <clears throat> and um, I, 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 I don't know. <clears throat> I felt bad because I felt he beat me somehow, right? <clears throat> but anyway, um, we had this cock. Val uh, called this. What was the what, what, I'll call this cock. This cock was, was, was a white cock. And listen, he was... You know, you know they, they say proud as, a, proud as a cock. Listen, this guy was proud. Uh, he was he strutting like a cock. He strutted like a cock. You know, he would strut around our garden. You know? Well, you know our garden. The hen house is on this side of the garden. And there's a hedge on this side of the garden. And this guy's strutting around the garden, doing his thing. You hear him, you know, from time to time. And he's strutting around, doing his thing. And all of a sudden, you hear... He's gone. <laughs> never, not a, not a, we, we never found a feather of him. <clears throat> I mean, he was just gone. We were sitting having dinner. It was a warm day and the windows were open. And this guy's gone. Do you know what the fox had done? The fox had waited in the hedge for him to come near. The fox, he didn't, listen, he didn't risk it. The foxes don't risk it. I sat waiting with the shotgun for the fox to risk it. The fox never risked it. He never, he never risked it once. He wasn't likely to, right? But you know what? The fox waited till he got real close to him. And he just went out and... And he was gone. You know what, young person? That's what Satan wants to do. That is what Satan wants to do. And all of a sudden, you will find the tables turned on you... And you will find you're devoured. You're gone. When you're out from under the umbrella of authority, you're in trouble. You're in danger. You need to understand that. that listen, <clears throat> Satan loves a rebel. Satan loves somebody who goes out and does their own thing. He'll just get you every time. And <clears throat> by the way, I don't know this, but I think Satan laughs when he does. I, I can just imagine him laughing. I can imagine him thinking, what a fool. What an idiot to give me such a sweet opportunity. You see, I don't think he has any friends. You see, you see people change sides. They're going to, they're going to go you know, <clears throat> to the dark side. And they're going to go to... You know, he doesn't have any friends. You watch the people that go his way. He ruins them all in the end. That's what he does. He ruins every last one of them. You know, God is love. And I think if we were to put the equivalent on Satan, we'd say Satan is hate. Because everything that God is, he's not. He's the opposite. And you know what? Listen, he just hates you. He just wants the opportunity to devour you. And some of you are foolish enough to give him Plenty of opportunity. One day you will be very sorry that you gave him the opportunity. And I can warn you, I can't get it in your head. I can warn you, I can look at you when you mess up and say, wish you hadn't done that. But nobody can stop you because you've got a free will. Your parents can't stop you. 
They can do everything they can to build hedge of protection around you, to keep you under the umbrella, but they can't stop you. If you're going to be foolish enough to let the enemy devour you, you're going to be foolish enough to let the enemy devour you. And you're going to have to deal with the consequences. It would be a whole lot better, though, if you learn not to be a rebel and you learn to uh, submit to authority. Because God put authority in our lives because we need it, folks. We desperately need authority. We need to be under that umbrella of, of protection. <clears throat> James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians chapter 6 gives us the armor to wear. Look there with me at Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You need the armor, and you need to wear it all the time. Now, what does it mean to wear the armor? You know, we'll go through this. We're going to breeze through it tonight. We're not going to spend a lot of time doing it. We're going to breeze through it. Here's what, here's what wearing the armor is. Wearing the armor is being filled with the Spirit. That's what it is. It's being filled with the Spirit because the Spirit is your armor. So you need to be filled with the Spirit all the time. What you're going to do here is identify the different pieces of it. But listen, all you've got to do is not worry about one thing. Am I right with God? Am I walking with God? Am I filled with the Spirit? Am I in the right place? That's really all you've got to look at, right? Uh, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Isn't that an eerie verse? Isn't that, you know, you could, you could you know, listen, if there was ever a horror film made out of the Bible, that's one of the verses that you could use to do it. It's, it, it that's a terrifying verse. That's an eerie, scary verse. Right? But it's real. You know, a lot of the horror films that people watch, listen, they're just junk, rubbish. You know, they got no sense to them and they got no reality to them. This is real. You have a foe who's a ruler of the darkness of this world and he's out to get you. <clears throat> Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt with truth. Be a man and a woman of the word. And not just the word that you read, but the word that is truth that you apply to your life. You know, Jesus fought the enemy with the word. But it wasn't just fighting the enemy, you know, with idle words that he'd memorized in Sunday school. He was fighting the enemy with realities of the word applied to his own life. And it needs to be that your battle with the enemy is based upon the word. We never get away from the word. We never get beyond the Word. It is our source of all that we need to live right and do right. We need the Word. You need the Word. You need, you need to be able to fight the enemy with the Word. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> having on, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. You're supposed to have the breastplate of righteousness. Your life is supposed to be righteous. You say, I'm not perfect. No, listen, but when you're walking in the Spirit, you're righteous. You see, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us when we walk after the Spirit. That's what Romans 8 tells us. That the righteousness of the law is fulfilled. What we do is, as we, fill the Holy, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in His way and depend upon Him, you know what? We're righteous. We are a different kind of people. <clears throat> and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, you know, the gospel uh, is a two-edged sword. The gospel actually... <clears throat> 
you know, helps you. When, when, when you're out there declaring the gospel, God's doing something in your life and God's em- empowering you and God's using you. And, and, and when you're on that cutting edge there, you know, listen, there's a strength for you to fight against the enemy. It's harder for him to get you. And, and, and you need to be in that place where, you know, you're active in the gospel. You know, men, Sunday so fast, we've been looking at David, uh, David Sim with Bathsheba, and uh, second, first Samuel chapter 11, second Samuel chapter 11, rather. Right? And, um, you know, we're, we're looking at the wicked sin he, he fell into. But, you know, the, the beginning of the chapter says that uh, it was the time when the kings went out to war, and David didn't. He wasn't at war. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And you know what? Satan got all over him. Let me give you an application of that. Listen, you're supposed to be evangelizing. You're supposed to be reaching out to people with the gospel. You can say, well, no, 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 that's not my bag. I'll leave that to other people. No, you're supposed to be out there evangelizing. And when you're not, you know what? Listen, you're not out to war where you're supposed to be. You're not in the place where you're supposed to be. You need to be there. You need to be involved. You need to be going out with the church. You need to be going out on your own. You need to be involved in, in communicating your faith, not just have a book shoved in your Bible that you haven't uh, done anything with. You need to be involved, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's part of your armor. You need to be a fighting man, a soldier with a sword girded on. You need to be out there ready to go. <clears throat> Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You know, the enemy's going to send those fiery darts. Just at the right moment, he's going to send that dart straight in, the one that's supposed to tear you apart and destroy you. And you need to have a shield of faith that you just lift up the shield of faith and you say, no. And that catches and does away with the damage. Do you know that, listen, your shield of faith can protect you from so much. But when you're not walking in faith, you're not able to protect yourself. When you're not walking in faith, again, you're in danger. You need to be living by faith and walking in faith. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You need to be always in prayer. Look, let me harp on it something because I need to harp on it and I'm probably going to harp on, on it for the rest of my ministry. Unless I get to the place where I'm convinced that all of you have gotten the basic Christian discipline of having your devotions every day down, I'm probably going to keep on going at it all the time. Because I can't think of anything that's really more important for you than that you spend time with God every day. I just can't. I can't think how you're going to manage spiritually apart from spending time with God every day. You know, I think it's a joke for you to think, you know, you can fight against the enemy without spending time with God every day. I think it's a joke for you to think you can advance in the Christian life without spending time with God every day. I think it's a joke for you to think you can raise a family without spending time with God every day. I I just think it's, I don't think it's possible. You know, I just think, listen, that's the basic. You know, you say, well, how many days a week? Every day of the week. Some days, twice a day. Just because. Just because you wanted to spend time with them. Listen, you need to get your whole different attitude as far as the Word of God is concerned. You need to be in the Word and be in prayer every day. Listen, what are you thinking? Going around without spending time with God every day. 
What would you think of a soldier who said, listen, it's too hot and sweaty. I don't want that armor on me. I don't want that, you know, that, that helmet. I don't want that junk. It's too hot and sweaty. You'd think, well, that's a fool. He's not going to last long. You know, but listen, Christians all the time. You know, and they end up in trouble. They end up with their lives all messed up. And they end up with all kinds of difficulties in their lives. And you're sitting there and you say, oh, that's dreadful. And you try and talk them through it. And you know, as you're talking them through it, you find out, well, haven't been having devotions. What? Hope is there for you if you're not having devotions. Listen, look, I'm not saying you're not going to heaven, but can you really call yourself a Christian if you're not communicating with Christ? I mean, are you really a Christian? I mean, I know you are in name, I know you have the badge on the wall, but are you really a Christian if you're not having communion with Christ? And you say, Pastor, you have no idea how busy I am. I don't need to know how busy you are. It's all a question of priorities. You know, listen, you know, um, how many, I'm going to ask you, right? Most of you had a shower today, right? <clears throat> you know, you wouldn't miss your shower for the world. I'm thankful that you don't. I'm really thankful that you get that, that, that out of the way in the day. You know, that's important, right? You know, most of you ate today. <clears throat> you know, there may be somebody who's fasting here, but it doesn't look like there's many. Right? Most of us ate something today. It took time. It took time to prepare. It took time to eat. It took time to wash up after. Most of you had a rest this afternoon. You know, Sunday afternoon, you normally have a rest. <clears throat> you know, most of you have probably had some kind of entertainment today. Maybe you got up early this morning to watch the match. You know, you had some kind of entertainment. Did you spend time alone with God? And you could repeat that every day of the week, couldn't you? And you have an excuse for every other day why you can't. And you're kind of satisfied if you get three in in the week. And you're kind of satisfied if you get five minutes in. Listen, how long would your body last if you had a packet of crisps every day for your dinner and that was it? I'm telling you, rapidly, you begin to show signs of malnutrition. Because crisps don't sustain you. But you know what? Christians are malnourished spiritually because they don't spend time with God. And they do it consistently. And then they wonder, why am I failing? Why is God not hearing me? Maybe because you're not talking. Maybe because you're not listening. Maybe because you're not spending time with Him. Listen, <clears throat> we have a foe out there watching us, waiting on us, ready to devour us. And we go tiptoe through the tulips and we ignore the reality that's out there. Spend time with God every day. Spend time in supplication and prayer. Pray for your family. Pray for yourself. Pray for your needs. Listen, spend time with God every day. And you say, Pastor, every day is a lot. Listen, I'm telling you. Spending time with God every day is not a lot. That's just a good way to live. That's just the best way to live. You know, listen, if you came to the place in your life where you didn't talk to people and you didn't have breakfast before you spent time with God, you know what? Pretty soon you'd get it in shape, wouldn't you? Sorry, I can't talk to you. I haven't been with God yet. You know, listen, pretty soon you'd get it in shape. Pretty soon you'd get a discipline. And you know what? It's a discipline that would sustain you spiritually and carry you. Look, we talk about spirit filling. We talk about, you know, <clears throat> being Christians. We talk about victory over sin. We talk about fighting the enemy and so on. Look, basic to it all is spending time with God every day. 
Yes, it's not reading your five chapters of Scripture. It's spending time with God every day. And part of that is reading Scripture. But spending time meeting with Him. It's not something you have to do. You know, It's not something you check the box, got it done today. It's spending time with God. You know what? He's worth getting up early in the morning for. Not a lot of things that are. But He is. I'm going to ask you. How many of you got up early during this rugby season to watch a rugby match? <laughs> Don't raise your hands. It was important, wasn't it? Do you think you could get in the habit of getting up early to spend time with God? Do you think that might be a good habit for you to get into in your life? Do you think that might actually help your life? You would spend time with God every day? Look, <clears throat> and don't give yourself days off. Don't reckon on days off. Don't reckon on three or five or whatever. This is spend time with God every day. Listen, it's a relationship with someone that loves you and someone that wants you to love him. And if you'll just relate to him, you know what? Your heart will fire with love for him and it'll be a joy to you. I think I've told you about Dr. Sidon. Dr. Sidon could say that in the last 40 years he had never missed a day of devotions. Listen, and he wasn't saying, you know, I am the man. And he wasn't saying, oh, that's been such a burden, but I've done it. What he was saying was, yeah, I've spent time with God every day, last 40 years. He didn't reckon on missing. You know, he, he, he never reckoned on missing a day. He just reckoned on spending time with God every day. That was just the way it was. You know, it wasn't this, this incredible burden where, you know, he had to spend time with God. He, he just spent time with God every day. Because that's who he was. You know what? I think that's basic to our Christianity. I don't care what else you're doing. I don't care what other busyness is in your life. Listen, if you want to de defeat the enemy, if you want to be able to stand against the enemy in the, in the dark day, you've got to spend time with God. Every day. You see, <clears throat> be sober. That means keep your faculties and your mind straight. How do you do that without your devotions? Be vigilant. How are you going to be in that place where you're watching what's going on and you're aware of it apart from being in communion with heaven? You're not. You're going to get smashed. You're going to get devoured. Listen, God has a better plan for you. You ever look at Christians, you know, and you look at Christians and you wonder, you know, how come the ones that look most promising don't seem to make it and the ones that don't look as promising do make it. You know what I'll guarantee you? I will absolutely guarantee you. Right down in the center of it, if you could only see it, is devotions. Right in the center of it, you're going to see devotions. Get away from devotions, get away from the Lord, and it's not, it's not long before you can do anything. It's not long before you can slip and you can do all kinds of things, because God keeps you straight. You know, if you're not having devotions... At the end of the service, you need to come and you need to make a commitment to God that you keep, that you're going to start having devotions from now on. And maybe you need to make yourself accountable on that one. Have somebody ask you, but you need to have devotions every day. You shouldn't get food. Hey, what about this? What about you don't take your shower until you have your devotions? Uh-huh. Some smelly people around, yeah? <laughs> what about that? What about you make a decision in your life that, look, I don't do this until I've had devotions. I don't turn on the telly ever. By the way, if you ever turn on the telly before you've had devotions, that's idolatry. 
You might as well get yourself a little Buddha and put it up on the wall and worship it. Listen, you have got to spend time with God every day. Make a decision in your heart. Listen, you're fighting in a warfare. The enemy's out to get you. Make a decision in your heart and in your life. You're going there. Basic, bottom line Christianity is, I'm going to spend time with God every day. And you know what you'll find? You'll find as you nurture that relationship that it gets sweeter. And one of those days you'll wake up in the morning and instead of saying, oh, it's time to get up, you'll be saying, oh, I want to be with him. And you'll find it has such an impact on your life. And you'll find you protect yourself from the devouring attack of the enemy. That's powerful prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for these that have come. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you move in hearts and lives? Would you deal with us tonight? Or would you bring us to a place where we can know victory over the enemy? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. God is dealing with you. Would you just, where you sit there, make a decision. I'm going to have devotions every day. That's it. It's, it's done. I'm not, I'm not going to shirk about it anymore. I'm not going to play with it. From now on, I'm going to have devotions every day. Lord, help me. I'm going to have devotions. Just make that decision right where you sit and talk to God about it. Maybe you need to deal with bitterness in your life. Maybe there's an area of bitterness that you've been holding on to. Right where you're sitting, Lord, I'm giving it up. Lord, by your power, I'm letting go of this bitterness. Maybe there's sin in your life. Sin that needs to be confessed and forsaken. You could confess it right where you sit. You could deal with it right now. Maybe in your life, you're out from under authority. You're a rebel. Why don't you own it? Don't put a nice name on it. Don't make excuses. Own it. You're a rebel. You know what? There's help for rebels. Lord Jesus Christ came to help rebels like you. But you'd have to admit it. I'm a rebel. I'm going my own way. What is it that stands between you and God tonight? What is it that puts you in the place where the enemy is ready to devour you? wonder, is there someone here tonight and <clears throat> Satan, like the fox in the hedge, is just waiting for you to get a little bit closer? Just a little bit closer. And when you get a little bit closer, you're gone. Oh, listen. Flee to Christ tonight. Flee to Christ. Let's stand quietly to our feet. And you've made a decision. You've made things right between you and God. Why don't you come and just <clears throat> kneel before the altar here and, and dedicate yourself again to him. Just come and deal with God's dealt with you. God's been merciful enough to reach out to you and, and touch you tonight. Listen, respond to him and come and dedicate yourself to him tonight. Let him have his way. Don't hold back. Don't, don't, don't keep yourself away from him. Listen, if he's dealing with you, just respond to him tonight. Just say yes, Lord.